Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 291, Episode 1. What? Overall, Episode number 1,500 no. of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist. Yeah. Thank you to Super Producer Justin. For pointing that out. Pointing that out. We are milestone. so bad. We're so bad at knowing so bad. about this. Half the time, it's y'all going like, hey, you know, that was like your 1,200 episodes. <laughs> hey, you know, that was like 1,000 episodes. And I'm like, is it? Well, and I know there's like trending episodes, too, that don't even mix in the mix. All that to say, yeah, this was 1,500, man. Yeah, that's without trending. 1,500 daily episodes of... Dude, I that, guys. Yeah, we got to murder at 1,500. Yes. Okay. That's correct. We uh, do have a murder of 1500. This episode is uh, absolutely slays. <laughs> still a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, yeah. Still a podcast where we take a deep dive into American Share Consciousness. This is one of our very special uh, daily Zeit guest episodes where we have yeah. a couple guests on and kind of focus on their areas of expertise. We have the, the one, the only, one of our favorite listeners and the only listener who has been a full-on guest on yeah. the show, Christy Yamaguchi Main. Yes. Coming a little bit later to talk to us about his on-the-job exploits, a man who wears many hats. And up first, we are talking to Aisha Harris, yeah, a pop culture expert. She just wrote an amazing book about pop culture. Uh, first, I guess I should... We, we've only done it 1,500 times. I'm a little rusty. Yes, My name's yes. Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Uh, Potatoes O'Brien, uh, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, me, Mr. Miles Gray. Oh, thank you so much. It's Miles Gray, a.k.a. I was going to declassify, but then I got high. I was going to turn them all into the feds, but then I got high. Now I'm being indicted, and I know, I know why. Why, why eh, man? Because I'm the guy. That just wouldn't try to simply comply. And that's from Woo. Reddit. TV on Discord uh, said, hey, this is this is popping off on our politics. And then like people, this is this isn't even a listener. But sometimes y'all are finding just fantastic AKs on there. So shout out TV on the Discord. I feel like he would have a real mental health episode if he ever smoked weed. Donald Trump. Oh, like, he'd honestly 
and I don't want to say that I'm not interested in justice, but I would settle if they if the feds would allow me, I would roll a blunt so potent that Trump's hair would fly off his head. <laughs> and I would like to just watch him squirm for that like 75-ish minutes where he's like, they hate me, don't they? What is this? I've been eating pizza all wrong or whatever is going on. But yeah, he's there's no way you can be in like mentally on like a tightrope all the yeah. time like this guy is and then introduce weed to the mix. No, no, yeah. no. But yes, so special guest, expert guest up front, Aisha Harris. Uh, we're yeah. going to talk to her about whether Stan culture is the new religion. We're going to talk about pop culture like archetypes, like I, you know, I've always said that Freud should have just analyzed pop culture, like movies from the nineties, right? Rather than like Oedipus, you are you are Charlotte from Sex and the City. Oedipus is the like pop culture figure that smart people bring up first when they're like, right. mm, paging Doctor Freud, Oedipus, yeah. anyone? But I feel like all characters operate in that way especially ones that really connect and become iconic oh yeah i managed not to talk for a half hour about hannibal lecter but that is my number one example of like you know something expressing something in our unconscious yeah. as a you culture. do talk about jaws though true to form. i do talk about jaws quite a bit I, I even reveal a very obscure character from film that i related to that got people yes. <laughs> yeah we'll talk high. about that after the episode but oh my god yeah all that plenty more so yeah we're, we'll, Shall we dive on we'll in? get into it uh right now aisha harris the author of the upcoming wannabe reckonings with the pop culture that shapes me yeah well miles yes. we're thrilled to be joined for our expert interview portion mm -hmm. of the show yeah uh, by a renowned culture critic podcaster who you can currently hear as one of the hosts of npr's pop culture happy hour her new book is Wannabe, Reckoning with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. It's Aisha Harris! Aisha! Welcome. Wow. I, that's the most boisterous uh, introduction I've gotten ever. That's awesome. Oh, I love oh, it. We're very boisterous here. Well, let us know. If someone does a more boisterous introduction, call us because yes. we'll have you back just to we'll up come it for again. that crown. Yeah, absolutely. Given, given Oprah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the first time. Yeah, actually. Yeah, it is. We oh are having a big O energy there, for sure. That is <laughs> such a compliment. First of all, I have to say I laughed so hard when you called out the DMX lyric, I'm not a nice person. person. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great line. It's, it's such, such a, a great, great line. line. <laughs> it's just, it's such a funny distillation of his whole vibe, but it just like drops all pretense, all dog <laughs> metaphors go out the window. It's just, um, I am not a nice person. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that I remember the opening of the song is so intense when it's like, yeah. see, this is shit I fucking be talking about. And then at a certain part, it's like, I'm not a nice person. And you're like, <laughs> wow. I, it's the same thing. I'm always with my friends when that album came out. And then there was yeah. X. We were like, this is somehow the best line in all of hip hop. Yes. <laughs> this is to the point. It's a it sounds a little like therapy. Like it sounds like I'm worried I'm not a nice person. <laughs> 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 but, and yet he sounds so menacing and like oh uh, yeah in that yeah. dmx way yeah <laughs> but yeah wannabe is a great read very insightful i want to kind of jump around to some of the different ideas that it raised uh that we talk a lot about on this show yeah and i wanted to talk uh start off with stan culture you have mm -hmm. a, a really great 
essay, I think, called Kenny G Gets It. Yes, yes. About, about Stan <laughs> culture. So, you know, a story that we talked about recently on our show a couple weeks back was that people are experiencing post-concert amnesia after mm-hmm. going to Taylor Swift concerts. Mm-hmm. And one of the more interesting, like, theses I've seen for why this is happening was Myra Fox and Forward comparing it to the Jews forgetting all of their time in the desert in the Talmud. <laughs> and but like even when you go into like there are psychology today articles that are talking about you know why this might be happening and it does seem to all kind of coalesce around this idea of they're having this highly affected elevated experience at this show and you know the the, the article then points out that you know, Swifties kind of pour over her lyrics the way that like a Talmudic scholar would debate the finer points of their core text. And, you know, there will be an extremist offshoot that believes she's coming out in her lyrics or something. And then they will go to war with, like, so, you know, some <laughs> other branch of interpretation. But, yeah, I just wanted to kind of you, you describe Stan behavior as, quote, a wave of cultish behavior that has threatened to overtake pop culture over the past few years, where Stan's originally a pejorative reference to a crazed, violent fan like the one described in Eminem's song Stan, but now apparently a badge of pride, express a kind of unyielding devotion to artist, which mirrors zealous followers of, you know, religion. So, yeah, like, did you see the story about people experiencing post-concert amnesia? Are you buying that it's related? No, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So it's so like they're forgetting the show yeah. happened. They were saying things like, were it not for literal footage on my phone, I could I was having trouble remembering the details of the entire concert. Yeah, uh, that just sounds like they want an excuse to have their phones up the entire time instead of just like letting themselves <laughs> enjoy it. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's for my memory. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, look, I. I have definitely been that person sometimes at concerts who puts her phone out and is like, oh, my God, I need to catch this experience. And then like 10 seconds in, I'm like, what am I doing? They're right, right in front of me. Right. And I'm looking at <laughs> yeah. it through my phone screen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I and like I almost never go back and actually watch that video. So like, True. I don't know. I, like, I don't think it's ever happened in recorded human history that someone has gone back and looked at the video of <laughs> of the footage they took at a concert. I feel like it's always just the act of taking it down to be like, this is so good. For my I must have evidence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. It's it's dumb. I'm, I'm actually going to see Janet Jackson this uh, this weekend and I'm very, very excited and I might pull out my phone, but it'll probably be more to like film myself and my friends lip syncing right. as opposed to like trying to film, you know, her dancing. Yeah, right. To yeah. me, that makes a little bit more sense because like you're capturing the moment and you want to remember who you were with, like that sort of thing. But um, yeah, stands stands are weird, man. I mean, like you like you said in the quote from my book, like this was originally a stand was someone who murdered his his. His, I mean, Stan was right. someone who murdered his wife, his pregnant wife or girlfriend, and was writing crazy notes to Eminem. And somehow we've turned this into like a positive thing. That's me, right? <laughs> it's like it's such an American way of life. Like that's just like turning something that has really deep seated like 
awful roots. And like, I, I think Stan itself is the song is a really interesting song. I don't think it's a bad song. I just think like the whole point is that it's sort of a cautionary tale. And now it's like something to aspire to. Right. And that's just, that's just fucking weird. It, yeah. It's, it's dumb. And so what I was trying to argue in the book was just like, we need to have a better way of being fans and thinking about what fandom means. And I think for me, one of the more insidious parts of fandom is not just like that people are so into whatever artist or whatever franchise they're into, but it's that if someone else doesn't like what you're into, then it's taken as like this, you know, the worst offense in the world. You you hate this person and they hate you. And it's this very like jets and sharks sort of situation. It's like this, this doesn't need to be that serious. Like yeah. people should be able to like what they like, hate what they hate. And never the twins shall meet or whatever, you know. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so, well, I mean, but that that is also a thing that's been happening for millennia when it comes to religion, right? <laughs> it's yeah. the, like my interpretation of the religion. And I mean, we've we've talked about trends around religion on the show, and it's clear that for a large portion of the country, like God and traditional religion are dead or dying, or at least do not hold the central part of their life that you know, they did a couple generations ago, like, and even that they did, like, a couple decades ago. But the the human search for meaning and, like, having some broad significance to their life doesn't just go away. And I, I do wonder, like, your essay really made me wonder if this is what is coming in to, to fill that space in people's lives. Like, right. the... The like you mentioned in the essay, the religious fervor of Star Wars fans when they're forced to confront a new trilogy that might move in a different direction than mm -hmm. their worldview, and the amount of energy that puts forth that they put forth, you know, arguing about it and criticizing it and stuff, I feel like starts to make sense to me if I'm thinking of it like. You know, what if the Catholic Church was just like, hey, new gospel just dropped? Like, right. I feel like that would get quite the reaction from, you know, devout Catholics. And so this is like if these stories fill that place in people's lives, then like I, I feel like I can understand the world. It, it is a terrifying situation to, you know, a, a, a weird culture to exist in and also like really makes the position of these celebrities and these filmmakers like <laughs> very scary, right? That, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something weirdly evangelical about the way that these fan stands approach these things, whether it's like trying to wrangle as many streams of this artist's song or album so that they can get to the top right. or, you know, trying to convince strangers on the internet why, like, this is the best movie ever. Like, it's just, there is this weird sense of like, and I think, I don't think all social media is terrible. I think it can be great for actually connecting fans to uh, to other people who they wouldn't normally interact with um you know and people have more of a community they can find and foster online but the, but then on the other hand it is it does have this weird sort of like religious bent to it that feels icky and right. the fact that 
in some cases, these artists who shall rename nameless, sometimes they foster this weird religious fervor by, you know, sicking, having, sicking their fans on people who criticize them, right. you know, or the studios are, are, you know, they really play into this or, you know, release the Snyder cut. Like, oh my goodness, like, calm, calm down. Let's, let's calm down here. Yeah. I definitely think the religious aspect of it is, is, is very accurate. I also think there's like a, comparison to be made to sports fans and how, you know, pop culture has in some ways become its own sport where people take sides and, you know, like team, I don't know, team Issa, Edward. team Molly, team, okay. you know, like all the, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it, it's really screwed up our, our way of like relating to one another and also how we relate to art because at the end of the day, it's like, we should just like, be able to enjoy it without having to add on all this extra layer of like meaning that I think can be harmful to society. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Just social media. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, I think everything's kind of like inverting in this weird way, especially with celebrity culture being where it's at. Right. I, I, someone had a quote that I read like years ago that was saying, like, prior decades, you became a celebrity for achieving something. That's what brought along celebrity to someone was because of an achievement. And now we're in an era where merely being a celebrity is the achievement and it sort of ends there. And I think through all that, we're always if that's the case, then we're also trying to find like who our heroes are. And like it becomes this thing where now we're defending people tooth and nail over these criticisms of again, like people were we always talk about how we're like deifying these people. But it's starting to take on like quite a more like literal sense of that, like where people are you know, coming at each other with this same level of energy that you normally would be like, oh, is this some kind of religious, like a religion, like intra-religion battle or something like that? But again, yeah. I feel like it's maybe just because like as we slowly like losing touch of like what has meaning, what doesn't, then we just sort of like are left with these things of being like, well, I'm a barb. So this is what like my life right. is. This is how we do it. You, you invoked, don't be careful. They're going to come for you. <laughs> I've already died a thousand deaths on the internet. <laughs> I mean, truly, like not to take it to too dark a place, but I mean, I, I feel like the Beatles might have been the first people to like fully get to this place. And like John Lennon commented on it by being like, we're bigger than Jesus, like in some in some ways. And then he was assassinated. <laughs> you know, <laughs> by one of his fans, like, right. you know, so I do think there are like all sorts of dark directions that this shit can go. You know, John Lennon was at surface level, a pop singer who sing sang songs about being a walrus. And yet, like he took on such meaning to so many people that like the the guy who shot him, I, I think one of his like chief motives was that he didn't like the direction that his career was taking at that point and like wanted to preserve him in amber. So right. like, again, it's just this religious fanaticism and devotion that has to kind of go somewhere and can go in like these really dark, horrifying directions. And before Stan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like uh for for people who like aren't familiar, you know, some people know Kenny. G. Why did you use Kenny G to sort of illustrate this point? Because like I, for me as like a millennial, like I I I get it. Like, I'm like yeah, because yeah. that was like the first thing that we were like, Kenny G sucks and get it out <laughs> my face forever. Uh, and I but, felt like, seen because I have a religious devotion to Kenny G. I have oh, an idol oh. to Jack, him. Show I your have... ponytail. 
piece of his hair that I just like kind of braid into the back of mine, uh, like a Padawan. But yeah, I mean, what what about Kenny G? Sort of like encapsulated this for you. Well, yeah. So I had I had seen the documentary listening to Kenny G, which is really great. I mean, you have to actually listen to Kenny G music while watching it. So that's like the bad, the downside of it. But like, it's really interesting because he seems very, he's very aware of his reputation as like someone who's made millions and millions of millions of dollars because a certain segment of the population at a certain period in time was obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my, my mom, she had several Kenny G albums. I had to listen to that shit in the car a lot, wow. especially during the holidays. Cause like that was like peak Kenny G season yeah. <laughs> in like the, the mid to early nineties. So smooth. So I, the, few, few genres as a whole, like just make my blood boil, like smooth jazz. I hate it so much. Like <laughs> not, it's not, jazz. it's not real jazz. It's not. Uh, oh no, it's so sanitized. Yeah. It's so, but that's the point of the documentary is that you have these music critics who are arguing like, this is not, he's like not playing real jazz. And even he will admit like, look, I know some people don't like me and I realize I'm a polarizing figure. And he says, you know, when so I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you know, when someone says they, you like something, I like something, don't you? And that person says, no, I don't. Then you take it really personal as though like they're saying something is wrong with you or something right. bad about you. And that's kind of like how I frame the essay, which is like, I talk about stand-up and all that stuff, but I also talk about sort of how we also use these figures and these movies and TV shows to sort of like assign value to ourselves or make ourselves feel better about who yeah. we are. And so like, it's not just enough to really like Beyonce's music, but you also have to feel as though Beyonce represents your values like as a as a moral human being. And so when she's called out for using the word spaz in a song and then rescinds it, like that makes you feel good because you're like, oh, she's listening and like she's progressive and she understands these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like same like with Taylor Swift when like she finally stopped being well. <laughs> then she dated Matt Healy, apparently, right. but like, whatever. Before that, you know, she was supporting Democratic uh, politicians and supporting queer rights. And when that happened, it made her fans, many of them feel better about themselves because they're like, oh, she she also thinks like me. And I think that's just as much of a trap in some ways as, you know, being just a religious fan of anyone, in part because it's just like, yeah, I mean, sure. There are ways, there are certain ways where you can assign, like if someone is listening to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like, who's the, like, are there any neo-Nazi <laughs> artists? <laughs> I'm sure there are. Like if they're, like if you're listening to someone who has like neo-Nazi traits, oh, I recently learned that like one of the members of Ace of Base was like yeah. connected yeah. to neo-Nazi. The whole thing or is kind of a wink at Nazism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently he was like a neo-Nazi or I, I don't want him coming for me, but like may have been associated or sympathized with that movement. And if someone knows this and then like is like, oh yeah, I still love his face, like then you might be like, mm, that's mm. that's troubling. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I also don't think that like it, it's 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 just kind of it's a slippery slope because not every artist most artists, most people are not going to have the same exact line of values as you are. So no. like, 
I, I think it's just like, we shouldn't trap ourselves into like, you know, I guess R. Kelly would have been, like if someone's like fully supporting R. Kelly, right, like yeah. in this day and age, I'm going to look sideways at you and I'm probably not going to like want to be around you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But like uh, at the same time, you know, I think most artists are more complicated than that. And just this ascribing of meaning, it feels like play, like it feels like posturing and I, I don't like it. I want us to just kind of like, like what we like and hate what we hate and not always try to put deeper. Yeah. Not, not put too much deeper meaning into it than that. Yeah, because yeah. there's so many times, too, I'll hear a song and then, like, someone's like, oh, you know, that person, like, was, you know, is, like, actually a monster. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't <laughs> even know. Like, an algorithm suggested this song to me, and I liked it. But I also get, too, part of you is, like, you start thinking as a consumer, what's your role in that? But I think further the further point is, like, I think for some people, the experience of music is probably the closest thing we have to religion sometimes because people aren't, yeah. we're so disconnected that I can tell, like, for me, when I was just losing my shit to different music it was because it was i could like i was envisioning myself like living out the lyrics or like the beat was just like put me in a different zone and things like that and i think that's where it kind of gets slippery where you do begin to be like this person can give bring this feeling out of me therefore i'm going to like assign like all these higher values to them or their persona because of like that connection and yeah i think it, it does get a little it can get a little slippery at times if you're yeah. also like you have to mirror every single value I have too, because mm-hmm. shit. I mean, I love Jay Z, but I hate capitalism. And he's told me since day <laughs> one you. he is a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, everything but that. Uh, you know, right. crossing picket lines and stuff like that. That's Jay. You know. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. It is and to be clear, I I don't think we shouldn't critique those things. I'm just saying I don't think it should be a like burn it all down situation sure. where you know I think we should be able to enjoy the music, but also say like, but this, this aspect of whatever they're saying or whoever they are, like Jay-Z or even Beyonce, who look, I love Beyonce, but she's also just as much of a capitalist as oh, he yeah. is. You know, that is worth noting because it also just, it comes up in their music. So it's impossible to separate the two. Yeah. But yeah, I, I also don't believe that we should just be like, oh, well, if you like Beyonce, then you fully support capitalism because it's like, no, that's not how this works. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's disconnected. It is that, you know, Kenny G's music gets me outside of myself, gets me outside of like time as normally experienced, which like that is something that is being that needs to be replaced. Like people used to have these religious services where they'd all get together in community and you know listen to music and listen to kenny g and yeah yeah, meditate and like so if i because we're in this like hyper capitalist like cellular existence as like individual nodes and like there aren't that many opportunities to get outside of ourselves so like if kenny g does that for me like you know and I, I didn't start listening to him because I knew that the G stands for God. I that realization <laughs> came to me later, like you know, it years after. It stands for Gorlick. <laughs> 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 All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back. And I want to talk to you about this quote, uh, where you you talk about inadvertent self formation by way of popular culture, Uh-oh, which I think is me. brilliant. And I want to yeah. talk about some psychological archetypes. So we'll be right back. And we're 
back. We're back. And Aisha, so yeah, I, re- I read the quote, but you you talk about pop culture informing how we think about ourselves, how we like shape ourselves. You kind of run us through various pop culture figures who you modeled your identity on as you were growing up. I've often said on the show that Freud fucked up big time by using ancient Greek myths instead of pop culture archetypes from the 90s. <laughs> I think he could have really made an, a name for himself if he had just, you know, stuck to pop culture. But it, it does feel like there. Yeah, the, these are the things that we should be like as we're thinking about, you know, where does this weird urge come from to stand people, for instance, like these are the figures that I think actually exist in people's minds and like deep in their unconscious. Right. How, how would you how did you explain again your, this concept of inadvertent self-formation by way of popular culture? Well, I think especially when we're just kids or adolescents, we're not thinking deeply about what we're consuming what we're viewing or watching we are just we're taking it in we're like a sponge right it's just everything uh, uh, affects us and we don't necessarily know how to name it or know how to identify it and it comes out in how we talk to each other how we think of ourselves how we see ourselves i mean i i, I think about you know growing up as a kid in the 90s and how casual homophobic language was just like the thing that everyone did. And if you go back and watch the movies that we were all watching, whether it was like Ace Ventura or like the teen movies of it, like there's all this casual homophobia, you know, showing up there. And so you don't realize until years later, or at least, I mean, I'm sure plenty of actual queer people recognize it in those moments. You know, I, obviously it was never right or okay. And it definitely was hurting people then. But I think, you know, part of what growing up hopefully is means being able to go back and sort of look at the things that you took in when you were younger and, and understand how they may have and may still be affecting how you view things today. Right. And so that's where the sort of the, the idea of it being inadvertent comes from is because like it doesn't like sometimes it just happens to you and then you have to later go back and realize, okay, how did this happening to me make me who I am now? And a lot of it is is sometimes like going back and undoing, trying to undo what has sort of calcified in your mind and brain right. um, and how you relate to things. Yeah, like it, it was, I, I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, I probably used the F word, the homophobic F word a, a couple times uh, because that's what I, you know, grew up around. Um, right. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of undoing <laughs> and, and, and trying to become better, hopefully, if you're able to go back and look at those things and recognize right. those things. I feel like so much of that debate now where people are like, it's too woke are like people who can't let go of like but my favorite movie is this and i have to say it's bad now if i agree and it is so true like how much we we take on shit that we see in the media especially in the age before social media like i was everyone's like looking for something that might feel like them or could be them or something you could kind of just feel like aligned with what what were like the shows or works of media that you kind of grasped and and sort of ingested to kind of become your personality 
you know, I, I write in the book about what I call my, my hoe phase <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, which lasted from roughly my late teens to mid ish twenties and how I kind of had this idea of what I wanted to be as a, as a, as a girl slash woman and how I related to men, boys and men. And I thought that, you know, I had to be sort of tomboy ish and the type of girl who could hang with the guys, not necessarily like, I never pretended to like sports. Like that was never my, like sports aren't my thing. I never pretended right. to do that. Like it wasn't that, but you know, I'd use what I liked movies, TV, music to sort of signal, Oh, I'm like, I'm cool. Like super right. bad is one of my favorite movies. Right, Aren't right, I cool? Right. Um, right. It really is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Uh, <laughs> but like, I would play that up or play, you know, play up the fact that, you know, I was really into, I don't know, freaks and geeks or the wire or whatever as like the thing I put on my dating profiles. And um, I, I saw like this vision of like, wanting to be closer to this idea of masculinity in a way as a way of like shielding myself from getting hurt by boys and men. Mm. And so I was very much like Samantha Jones was my girl. I wanted right. to be like her from Sex and City, Nola Darling, and she's got to have it. The 1986 film, not the TV remake by Spike Lee. Like those were kind of my, you know, the badass women who fucked around a lot and like, didn't like were anti relationship, anti getting too close to 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 men. Right, that was kind of what I clung to. And then over time, I realized, man, that's reductive. And also, like acting <laughs> acting like a man, thinking like a man, whatever. Um, this was before Steve Harvey. Yeah, shout uh, out Steve Harvey. I, was <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't just like I'm not going to just think like a man. I'm going to act like one too. Um, fuck being a lady. Yeah. But like I, once I realized that that was all kind of a false dichotomy and that even if you do act like that as a woman or as a person who presents as a woman, like you're still going to get the short of the end of the stick because like you're, you're still going to get, you're going to be slut shamed or you're going to be, you know, you're, it's, it's just, there's no winning. Right. <laughs> and and the right. idea of getting closer, like masculinity is not something at least that I want to aspire to in the way that I conceived of it or that pop culture conceived of it, which was often like the ladies man, whether it's Sam Malone and cheers or not, not that this like, actually what I love about it's always sunny in Philadelphia is that it's actually like critiquing those things. But like, I'm thinking of Dennis and like the Dennis system and how like that is clearly something to be, that's like being critiqued this idea mm -hmm. of masculine men and, who are, what were those guys, the pickup artists or whatever, like yeah. that whole oh, yeah. culture? Yeah. Yeah, 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 or the game or whatever. Like, yeah, 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 like that whole thing. I like, I thought that's what I wanted to be, and then I realized it's all, it's all, it's all bullshit. It's all patriarchal, yeah. and um, I had to sort of un undo all of that uh, <laughs> mindset about how to be a good person and how not to be an asshole. Because really, I was just trying to mimic. Not just not really masculinity per se, but just like being an asshole, which is often right. assigned to men, right, right, <laughs> and right. often seen as a good thing in men. Yeah. Jack, Jill, what, what, what TV people, what media people shaped you over the years? Because I feel like I was always a loose co collection of shit I saw on TV and films. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna take a little I bit mean, of this, a little bit of that. Kenny G. 
Kenny G, number one, first and foremost, obviously influenced. I don't know if you've seen pictures of me in fifth grade, but my hair was uh, long, permed, and always looked a little bit wet. Uh. (laughs) I just wore, uh, you know, dress shirts with a vest over top at all times. Perfect. You know, I was, I watched Jaws so many times before the age of like six that I think I was like a combination of like Sheriff Brody and Quint at at various points or like wanting to be that. And then also Rocky and Karate Kid were the ones that I, where I really saw it in like something about like the, like I thought it was cool to get your ass kicked. <laughs> like, I thought, like I think other people like thought oh, it like was you don't cool go to like yeah. Like other other kids would be like, I'm into Bruce Lee or like somebody who is famously an ass kicker. And the two characters that I really loved were people who could like really take a punch and just like keep getting back up. And so the underdog, yeah, the underdog <laughs> who is just like losing fights repeatedly. I also like. <laughs> John McClane, who, you know, is just dragging his like broken body across broken glass, like by the end of that movie, like so, something about that probably tied into the very strict Catholic ap- upbringing that I had, you know, like some like weird Mel Gibsonian, right? Like, the torture. passion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The passion like, of Jack's uh, sadism or something was was probably tied in there. But yeah. And then. Michael Jordan came along and I was like, I want to be that. I want to be Michael Jordan. And then went to like, you know, early 90s hip hop. And then I'd say like pop intellectuals and writer like Hunter S. Thompson, even though I like didn't love his writing. I was like, man, that guy's cool. I want to, you know, drink and use drugs like the future doesn't exist while still being respected as an intellectual. <laughs> and the yeah, I feel like those were kind of the main ones as I was like still forming myself. Yeah, I I was just so addicted to TV and like films that like every time I saw something, I could like find I was like always looking for like identity in like film, like the things I was watching. And like one of the earliest ones was like Goku and Dragon Ball as a kid. Like I was just like, oh, this like I I felt like it was teaching me things about toughness. And then then I want to be Michael Jordan. And then I wanted to be Will Smith and Fresh Prince. Then mm-hmm. I was Ace Ventura for about two years with the way uh-huh. I spoke, like just annoying, <laughs> that, like peak that was annoying Jim Carrey. Every Carey. kid, yeah. every kid, every kid. <laughs> I was I was all righty then, all that shit. Yeah, uh, then, I had I had specific friends I remember who were Ace Ventura for three years in a row, and they, in my memory, the funniest kids I knew. Yeah, funniest right. people <laughs> I've ever met. Were, like, just doing Ace just totally co opted that shit, and I was like, this man is a genius yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and then i was the wayne's brothers yeah probably marlon more than sean because marlon was a little more outgoing then i was tiger woods because that was the first time i saw a blasian person like me on tv and i was like <laughs> yeah. okay so i'm that and i tried to play golf that shit i was i was never going anywhere then there was the rock yeah. shot at another like vaguely blasian person yeah then puberty hit it was all rap i was like jay-z i was method man I was Pharrell because people were like, you you kind of, you could be like Pharrell. I was like, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank Wait, you. I, really? <laughs> I will not wear trucker hats. I was wearing trucker hats and she should have seen me in the early I aughts. mean, I, I, I wore trucker hats too because yeah. it was, it was the odds. <laughs> yeah, you had to, you had to. And at least for me, I was like, that's a trucker hat. I'm like, but Pharrell wears one. So I guess it's <laughs> And Ashton <okay."> <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't wearing Bond Dutch quite yet. 
Then I was like, I love Tom Sizemore and Saving Private Ryan for some that reason. That is Just so weird. So <laughs> that is it's because he knew, Jack, to your point, and go, the Goku thing, he kept getting shot and he kept getting back up in the movie. Yeah. And I was like, yo, yeah. Yeah. yo. And then my mom was like, there was a monk in Japanese folklore called Benke, who maybe you would be more interested in. So then I got into figures like that. But now I don't think I've moved on past Pharrell, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but it is one of those things where like so much of my identity was being defined by the media sadly and i was taking cues especially from like the blackness that i saw on screen as some kind of standard that i had to sort of uphold because i was being fed this very specific version of like what black culture was via like television and film then other versions from my family and then other times also being asian i felt like i was just kind of like a punchline so i was always kind of sifting through media to try and give me something i'm like well that shit's cool on tv Oh, man, Maybe what was, I like, the Rush Hour that. era like for you? Oh, Aisha, Aisha. <laughs> let me tell I you mean- how, yeah, my cousins, <laughs> my black cousins were immediately, they're like, I was Jackie Chan oh, from the second the first Rush Hour came out, or Blackie Chan, was a lot of things a lot of people say. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was, and at the time, I was like, or I would even, you know, the thing is, you even point that inward, and you're, like, telling other people, you're like, I'm like Rush Hour, the person. Right. You know what I mean? And then take that <laughs> yeah. on because you'd rather like you got laughs from that. But it's always interesting how I was like, I was always using media sort of like this touchstone to inform those things. And again, it was like out of seeking some way of like finding myself, uh, but also like maybe inadvertent or maybe very intentional kind of personality formation as I was doing that. Yeah, it 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 does feel like a very interesting way to kind of just view the world and the cultural landscape as like these figures that people that like resonate and you know they express some like you know i i read this book when i was young about like how movies are like cultural dreams they're like expressing some something from like our shared unconscious and you know so obviously they resonate and people pay money to see them but then they have this second life where they shape us in the same way that like linguists talk about language shaping everything we do because they like give us the color palette that we are working with when we're like trying to build the person that we want to be like how we talk what we wear how to like you know hold our body posture wise there's this crazy story about how like marlon brando characters like nobody in the mafia dressed like that until marlon brando did in a movie and then they were just like yo right that's me that is me that is who i want to be like you wear sweatsuits and then they started dressing like that and then that's that's what we associate with you know people in the mafia but it was like this invention by a great artist yeah yeah that's so funny you brought that up because i i did an entire I did like this deep dive episode about The Godfather and um, how Italian Americans reacted to it. And I learned that where it was just like they were it, they, the gangsters were imitating the movie version of themselves. Of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which is just such a great little anecdote and a great example of how there's there's just this back and forth, this cultural exchange between the language of the movies and then the language of the people and how they feed into one another. And sometimes they, they become so blurred that you don't know. It's like a chicken and egg situation, like which actually came first. Like, was this, you know, did this exist? Was it, you know, was Marlon Brando basing the character off of a specific gangster he met? And then it just became 
sort of the template for all these other gangsters. Yeah, it's just, it's so interesting to think about that or even something like, I don't know, the the Rachel haircut in the 90s, how everyone wanted that. It's just like, what a weird time. What yeah. A, what a weird, weird thing. <laughs> how ingrained pop culture is uh, yeah. to all of us. Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like we see it now even more, right? Especially like with in politics, like every, the, like, especially with like, when you look at the symbolism and like the, the, the imagery, the semiotics of like poly, like political factions now, like I feel like you see so many people on the right, like far right who are just, they like, they love the Punisher. They mm-hmm. love the Joker. And yeah. there's like this weird, like, again, they're, People are finding these archetypes again to, I think, maybe give even their own like political battles meaning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because it might not be enough for them to be sort of get the picture because they're looking at maybe their own situation, but they like, they're saying, like, okay, I'm on this side of the fence plus Punisher. Oh, yeah, I like this. This is me now. <laughs> this is me, the guy who is like just unhinged, violent, and feels like that's the only way that can solve things to make people safe. Yeah. I think those two in particular are very like powerful, central sort of psychological archetypes that have really, you know, like back to Heath Ledger's Joker comes out at the start of the Obama administration. And I think the like resonated with people being like, not everything's okay here, even though kind of the mainstream media seemed to be like, we're, we're good here. Everything's good. Right. We've, Post-racial like, history's society. over. And then right. like the Joaquin, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix Joker comes out and like adds what I think are two crucial ingredients that he is an incel and that he is like pointedly not funny, but wants to be funny, <laughs> which I feel like are two of the key features of a lot of the people who identify with the Joker and like that. Yeah. I mean, that character has been around and resonating for a long time, but it just feels like it's really, yeah. In, in the books that are written about our culture, there probably won't be as many of them as we like to think, but I, I feel like the, there will be a whole chapter on like the Joker and the Punisher and shit like that. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just, go, yeah. Go again, just shows how, much meaning we like extract from like our like our popular culture because it wasn't like no one's like going in history right <laughs> like, <laughs> like i i want to like i want to be william tecumseh sherman or some shit like or right. john brown they're like i want to be the punisher yeah <laughs> i want to be batman and you're yeah. like oh shit okay so we've completely just exchanged one for the other but again yeah. has like that same motivating force behind it i guess yeah. Well, and also like the the meaning that is being extracted is often just like totally out of line of what the meaning originally was or really is. Right. Like when I think about all the, you know, the Bill Maher types who complain about, oh, you can never get Blazing Saddles made today. It's like, okay, but like Blazing Saddles is actually like a radical piece of like filmmaking and they're just and yeah and they're just like focused on oh well they you know they're they're using the n-word or whatever whatever Um, actually i don't even remember if the n-word is used it doesn't matter it's like they are taking the wrong takeaways from that movie to prove their point but really it's just like that movie was like maybe it wouldn't have been made today but also like most people who are actually like liberals the ones you are fighting against they would argue that blazing saddle is actually really great because <laughs> it's way more transgressive than an episode of Family Guy or whatever. Right. Like, 
it's yeah. That's we so wouldn't funny. let you, Bill Maher, remake Blazing Saddles. <laughs> no, <laughs> that would suck, and you would do a bad job. All right, let's take one more break, and we'll be right back. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And I wanted to talk to you finally about the chapter, This is IP That Never Ends, which you open talking about what I think is one of the more significant movies of the past like couple decades, which is the, the Lion King live action remake. And that, that movie jumps out at me when you look at the list of the top grossing films of all time. It's in the top 10, but it's... <laughs> Like a movie that didn't really like all the other movies on there 
resonated and like had these cultural ripples and like you saw like Halloween costumes or whatever. And it felt like the Lion King movie, like not a lot of people came away from that movie and were like, great job, no notes. But it was it was a massive like it wasn't successful. I guess this is this is the thing that makes it stand out for me from the rest of the movies and like the top 20 top grossing movies of all time time is that it was not successful as a movie but it was extremely successful as a marketing like event basically and like i i feel like we saw the same thing with like the jurassic world franchise where it's like the premise the promise of this movie the trailer are all like they're really brilliant works of marketing they make all the sense as a marketing offering to a consumer but like the product doesn't follow through in a way that is like culturally lasting, but because we live in a world of like, you know, where capitalism is kind of the ultimate score that we're keeping, then we just like notch them as a W and kind of move on. But yeah, I'm just curious, like what, what, what made you kind of want to open that chapter talking about the, the Lion King live action remake? Well, (laughs) I, first of all, I did not realize it was like now in the top 10, uh, yeah. but, but obviously that's account. Like I'm assuming that's not accounting for inflation or it's counting for inflation and not like yeah, actual yeah. number of tickets sold. But, yeah. um, so yeah, the, the thing about the Lion King is unlike it's other Disney's other live action remakes the ones that they have already made and the ones that they are going to continue to turn out that movie has all animals there are no human characters and so (laughs) this movie was advertised as like look at how realistic this is look at how it it, basically it really did look like an an episode of planet earth like that's how quote-unquote good the animation the cgi was but good for who because you know (laughs) (laughs) the 1994 version of lion king is a classic in part yeah. because the animation is so rich, richly drawn. They, the character, the animals have facial expressions. You can understand, like they are connected. Their bodies and the the way their bodies move are connected to their emotions and their feelings. It is animated. It is actually animated. And what we got with the Lion King was a sort of dead-eyed reminded me of polar express like right. why are we doing this there's nothing right. here and yeah. i think to me i wanted to focus on that in part because it was so stark how much of a cash grab this was and yeah. how disney can you know say until it's blue in the face that it like wants to update these stories for new audiences and blah blah, blah. i mean you just know that we we already know this property exists we know the music we know the songs you throw in Beyonce and Donald Glover and people are going to go see it. The artistic aspirations, whatever they are, they do not play out for me, at least on the screen. And so I wanted to use it as a jumping off point to sort of examine how we are just drowning in all of this IP and franchise BS for the most part in ways that just feel suffocating and cyclical and as though we're like never going to get off this hamster wheel. (laughs) It's interesting because like that essay, I mean, this entire book goes through down a lot of rabbit holes, but I was not expecting when I started writing the essay that I was going to wind up like quoting Nietzsche. (laughs) (laughs) But here we were, uh, you know, in this idea of like us not being 
willing to reckon with like things ending and having an end. Mm-hmm. And I admire shows or movies that exist like as a single thing without having to be resurrected in, in any way. You know, obviously, pop culture has always had, you know, resurrections and reboots. Like, not that this is a new thing at all. And I explain that in the essay. Like, I go all the way back to the silent era where there were remakes of Cecil B. DeMille, the filmmaker, made like three or four different versions of the same movie (laughs) over the course of his career. So it's not like this is new, but it is definitely reached its like suffocation level of like this is all Hollywood seems to be focused on is recreating and rehashing its old ideas because that's what's the easiest to get butts and seats and um I'm kind of sick of it and for every like Spider-Man across the universe where it's like hell yeah this is this is good like this is great even there's plenty of Ghostbuster 2016s or, you know, the all-female Ghostbusters or Arrested Development, like, on Netflix, which was just, like, a terrible, like, I just, I've... I couldn't even do that. Uh, Season four is my favorite season. My favorite season. (laughs) I listen to that. I listen to Kenny G while watching that. It's nice because the words don't clash with the music, so you can kind of have just an overall... Yeah, no, it's it's a weird... It's you, You do a good job of describing, like, that what the experience was for people watching season four of Arrested Development and just yeah. being like this, they're the same characters, but like just everything seems like a little bit off. Yeah. Like, off and, and yeah. way longer. Like they made yeah. those episodes longer than they ever needed to be because it was right. on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we can be wacky, man. What about a 45 minute one? Who cares? <laughs> it, it's also just hard as a consumer, right? Cause like we talk about this all the time on the show of like, just how, like, in the 90s, when development people became all the marketing people at the studios, the emphasis just became about, like, raw numbers. And, yeah. like, imagination was kicked to the curb. Mm-hmm. And even now, like, knowing that, I'm still susceptible to that. the studios basically being like, hey, the McRib is back. And I'm like, <laughs> what? A new, a new Jurassic Park movie? And I know it's not going to come close to the fucking, the first hit of Jurassic Park I took in 1993. Ooh, it's not even going to come close. But, Always chasing that high. Always yeah, but I'm high. chasing the proverbial dragon or dinosaur in this case. Yeah, because... that one stands out to me as like a real, like it could have. If they had the right people, like the dinosaurs at a park and like the park is now full of people or the last one, the the third in the Jurassic World trilogy where the dinosaurs, dinosaurs are in the world. loose in the world. Like those are amazing premises for films that it feels like they were just like, yeah, but the marketing's going to crush. So we actually don't have to worry about making them like great films. You guys want to go to Italy? Why don't we say they're in the mountains in Italy? <laughs> that sounds tight. <laughs> I was like, what? They're in the Dolomites? Like, what is yeah. this? Uh, yeah the other issue with like that specific example of jurassic park is that like the new one the cgi like it doesn't even come close to feeling as real and terrifying as the first movie like i can still watch the first movie and when those kids are trapped in that truck and it's like literally you can feel it breathing on you oh yes these new CGI ones just don't. I, I sound like such a fogey, like they're these this kids these yeah. days, blah blah blah. But really, I think we we reached a tipping point at some point 
like maybe it was Avatar, where it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, he did James Cameron did Avatar, and then everyone decided like we're gonna go all in, but no one can do it quite as good or even close to as good as James Cameron. So now we get all this really shitty CGI that like doesn't feel real and doesn't feel like right. you're experiencing. Like I, it's just so flattening and Learned dead. The exact wrong lesson from that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like to your point. This has been going on for years. Like the theater world has been putting different versions of the same classic plays on for years. Nobody decries the cynicism of that. I have in the past been like, what if we treated, you know, superhero movies the way that the theater treats Shakespeare plays? And like, you know, if it takes you 42 Spider-Mans to get to across the Spider-Verse, so be it. But it, (laughs) Like, yeah, it, the thing where, Miles, as you said, like, the development got taken over by the marketing people, it feels like you're actually able to feel that. And now the movies in the top 10, top 20 are being taken over by these movies that, like, the, you know, they're directed by the studio. Like, they, you know, they just, they, it's it's all based on, like, different moments that you can put in a trailer and we're trending in like a just a, a very flattened direction to use your word, Aisha. Yeah. I guess the other possibility is movies are just not the art form going forward and all the artistry and storytelling is going to go into video games. But I will refuse to acknowledge that idea because I don't play video games that much. Except for your Switch that you love Except for so my much. Switch, which yeah. I love and play all the time while jamming out to Kenny. <laughs> and with the rest of development in the background, season yes, four or five, six. <laughs> exactly. I think, I mean, I, it does make me wonder, like, I think that's why Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think, was such a tonic for people because mm. I think so many of us are at this place, I'm like, bro, I already seen this movie. Yeah. yeah. On some level, we like, I feel so many times, even when I went to go see Across the Spider-Verse, you see some trailers. I'm like, I already seen this. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I know I haven't seen this, but I've already seen this. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like, it's just all about these like laser guided money making hits that aren't necessarily like they just know that there's certain levers. It's like I'll pull the celebrity lever because if I put the right mix of celebrities in this certain IP, which I know people just they don't care whatever it is. They want to be there. Then we have these, quote unquote, movies that do well while completely just. You know, they don't they don't satisfy like our appetite for something like imaginative. Yeah. And like you'd think maybe now the cynical like the cynicism of studio would be like, what if we just did like wacky stuff, man? Like everything everywhere is like that just that blew people's minds. But that might be a a bridge too far for for that. I mean, but then then, of course, that's that's the problem, though, is that often they the studios will try to recreate in everything everywhere at once or like Mm -hmm. think of all the 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 movies we've movies and shows we've seen post get out where i'm just like right mm, no uh, you, you're not doing it as good as you know right, the first right, right, right. <laughs> like yeah. you know so but we're so, talking about them, the same stuff kind of yeah right. kind of like, but, like, yeah, <laughs> right. but, but that is yeah, marketing that is how marketing <laughs> operates is by imitating things that already work you can't you can't invest in something unless you have like a proven track record and like a deck with you know metrics that show that this like connected with people and therefore you'll never get as long as marketing is running development you will not get anything that has like a truly lasting impact you might have to start playing video games and get used to subtitles because the movie's coming from non-english speaking 
countries are really great. Yeah. Have you seen? Oh, yeah. I, I finally saw Past Lives this weekend. So good. Oh, so did I. I highly recommend. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed that. All right. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for coming and yeah. uh, talking to us about your amazing new book. Where can people find you, find it, and anything else you'd like to, to mention about the book? Yeah, go check it out. It's it's everywhere. Everywhere you get books, go to your local bookstore, get it, because I, I like to support the local indies. Also, I have an audio version I recorded by myself, and you can Amazing. check that out. I do a eh, okay impression of Dave Chappelle, so like, look for that if you <laughs> if you're if you're curious about it. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you can find me as I'm sure everyone says for now on Twitter at crafting my style on Instagram at a H a number 88. And I'm now on blue sky, not really posting too much. Cause like it's, it's a place where things are still figuring themselves out, but I'm on blue sky. It just Aisha Harris. Yeah. That's, that's it. Oh, and of course on NPR, pop with your happy hour. There you go. Yeah. Come, come listen to us. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and for writing this book. Yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. And we're back. What a fun interview. Miles, the time size more revelation. I, I, look, I think I also, I too wanted to get my ass kicked and still be standing <laughs> like you. Yeah, listeners, let us know. Anybody else like just really fantasizing about getting the shit kicked out of you? I just like there was that and also that Jet Li movie Hero. There's like the I think the last scene he's like facing down a wall of arrows. Yeah. And like it's like the last scene I think and obviously like he 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 dies, but I was like that's tight, bro. I, was I like, think one of the most iconic sick. figures of culture of the past like 30 40 years is Scarface and he goes yeah. out in a hill like is taking like they they just invent a rule that you are impervious to the first like 45 bullets when you're the highest anyone's ever yeah. been on cocaine they're like yeah that's and i think everyone was like okay that makes sense so yeah, yeah i think there's something there that we've identified <laughs> we'll, we'll keep mining always be standing always yeah. be standing we'll yeah. always take a punch but for at least 35 seconds and then we'll yeah. fall into a giant fountain and float face down But that was fun. Another piece of information through producer Justin let us know that apparently the the Sims video game now, like when you hit a certain level, you can be a celebrity in the game. Yeah. You have unlocked Stan. Like, yeah, yeah, it just shows you how that evolution went from like, it's that's not a good thing to now like it's aspirational. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What I would do for a Stan. And also, I wanted to we we'll we'll have to have Aisha back on. I, w- I wanted to dig into like what who are the pop culture like icons right now? Like Drake is mining some weird like sad fuckboy energy that I feel like I see in a lot mm. of people these days. Pete Davidson is like an archetype that was like he spoke into existence or something like right, I feel right, like I right. see a lot of Davidsons out there around. But what a fun conversation. We are going to take one more break. We're going to come back and we are going to talk to Christy Yamaguchi Man. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back. And it's time for us to call up one of you listeners. It could be anyone. Right now. We don't know. We don't know. Let's, let's pick from this, from this uh, <laughs> pile of submissions. And would you look at this that? easy top hat. Oh, is it Christy Yamaguchi, mate? Okay. I think we're going to call that, Christy Yamaguchi, mate. Let's call Christy. Get this man on the horn. Uh, Justin, please get Christy Yamaguchi, mate, on the line. Uh, hello? Hey. Oh, hey, guys. What's up? How, how wow. Are you? wow. This is so normal. This is so organic. This is so yeah. not scripted. Wow. <laughs> I, it, I I actually knew it was y'all. I, do you realize that it says uh, the Daily Zeitgeist, like on the caller ID yeah. thing? Like, yeah, was, when we call from the big red phone in the uh, studio. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. It says. <laughs> I, I, I was surprised by that, um, but uh, excited situation, to see it come right? up. So uh, thanks for giving me a call. Chris hey. Yamaguchi, Maine, a.k.a. Willie. Uh, you said we could, we're going to use your government name today. I told you I, you know, I'm more comfortable with 
Sir Yamaguchi Main, Sire yes. Yamaguchi Main Esquire, but I guess we'll call you Willie today. Yeah. Um, thank you for for joining us. For an expert us. of the AKA game, Christy yeah. Yamaguchi Main, AKA Will, feels like it's like brilliantly <laughs> anticlimactic. It's, it's very, it's very lackluster. It's like when you find <laughs> out like uh, John Wayne's real name or some shit, you know, like yeah. like some some really cool stage name, and then you find out their real name is Bob or something. Yeah. What was his? Oh, oh yeah, Marion Robert Morrison. Yeah. John oh, Wayne. Man. That yeah. explains that so much about him. Doesn't have the same uh, gusto as John Wayne in my no, opinion. It's a cool name. It's a cool name on its own. But yeah. yeah. Shout out Marion, though. Yeah. But yeah, man, we wanted to talk to you, obviously, because we're asking our listeners. We wanted to hear from people with interesting jobs. I, I, I know you, like, from the what you post, you wear many hats. Uh, and I, when we were talking before, I was like, well, I, I, you hit us up about a, your work at a car dealership, your time as a repo man, your time as a wedding efficient, which like car lot and wedding efficient are your two primary yes, occupations yes. right now, right? I, uh, before, before you get me canceled or anything, I, I, I was the repo guy for like a year and a half, a long time ago, damn near. Right. 17 years ago now. Yes, I do wear many hats. I'm a bald boy like you, Miles. I got to keep the the sun off of it, you know. But yeah, for the past 13 years or so, I've worked at a car dealership, uh, detail cars, um, just full recon. Basically, if you trade your car in, it goes through me. I do everything to the car that needs to be done unless it's like heavy duty paint work and body work. Then we we have an in-house body guy. But yeah, I'm... basically try to make your car look as as good as new before we stick it back on our lot so we can get as much money for it and ruin everybody's ability to go buy cars right now because the market is absolutely stupid oh yeah used cars yes so uh and in addition to that i've uh been a wedding officiant i think this is let me do the uh, this is going to be the 17th year i'm coming up on having done weddings so uh, a friend of mine, good friend of mine that I went to high school with, he was getting married and he asked me to be the officiant because of my beard, uh, literally because of my beard. That was, I swear to God, that like was why like him religious and his, or something. No, it was, it was not that it was just, uh, just basically they, they went and got the marriage license ahead of time and mm-hmm. got married actually in a coffee shop that they met in. They oh. they actually exchanged the legal vows, and then when they did the wedding for their friends and family in downtown Wilmington, they had me be the officiant. But they they were like, "Yeah, you your beard looks official. We we, we want you to do it. We want you to stand up there." So <laughs> that's why they asked me. And you know, I've always played music. I've always been you know I love a good karaoke night. I don't mind having a microphone in my hand and Hell being yeah. in front of people. And so. It kind of was just a natural pairing. I kept after after I did that first one, I kept having people ask me about about doing theirs, and then there's just branched a steady out. murmur throughout the wedding with <laughs> yes. people being like, "Damn, look at that guy's beard! We got to get was, remarried and exactly. have this motherfucker yeah. marry us. We yeah. need to do a vow renewal. We need to do a commitment <laughs> ceremony. We got to have this guy do this for us." But uh, yeah, that's a that's essentially what happened. Is my friends. You know, that, that wave of friends you have in their, in right. your mid twenties that, that everybody starts getting married Save a and buck, hire the suddenly homie. they all had somebody that, that they knew that they had a personal relationship with that was willing to do it. And so I went and got ordained and like made sure all the paperwork was squared away. 
And, uh, and there you go. It's just nonstop since then. And it's, it's my side gig as most millennials have one of those these, these days. I do the car dealership five days a week, you know, it's kind of like banker's hours. And then on the weekends or in the evenings during the summertime, especially when people are eloping down here, I, I live at the beach. So it's a, it's blown up as far as a wedding destination over the right. past however many years. I, yeah. I stay as busy with it as I want to. I turn down just as many weddings as I accept at this point. And I'm Damn. at about 40, 45 weddings a year, I'd say. Holy shit. Oof. And yeah. do you ever just like kind of happen good. upon two people who look like they're in love and you're like, <laughs> hey, you know what I do for a living? Like, Here's I my card. Yeah. So yeah. are y'all on Twitter? I, uh, so <laughs> I have I have jokingly said that to people that I've met who I know are on a date or something. Uh, you know, hey, just if you ever need my services in the yeah. future, you yeah. know, and, and drop my name to them. So um, yeah, yeah, I kind of have done that. <laughs> so what would you say in your infinite wisdom of doing all these weddings? What kind of what kind of advice do you offer people from your efficient perspective? Like, what do you see couples get wrong or what what do you wish people knew going into planning a ceremony that just to give a little insider tips, wisdom? If you're going to have a friend do your ceremony, make sure the officiant gets out of the way for the kiss. Oh, yeah. That is the number one thing that I mistake that I see couples do or uh mistakes made at couple ceremonies who have like a friend of the family or a relative of theirs that they want to perform the ceremony. You they know, stick they go their face in between and take a kiss on either cheek. Yes, that's exactly. Oh, and they're like, yep. surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> I, it happened to me one time early on. My big stupid face was right smack dab in the middle in of, the all, of, yeah, of yeah. all of their kissing. Got to clear the frame. Got to yeah. clear the frame. And I, I was And mortified. you looked horny. And I that did. was a problem. I, uncontrollably <laughs> horny. My hand was on both of their asses. That gave it away too. I uh, did not help, uh, did not beat those allegations. Yeah. But yeah, that is the number one thing I would say is always remember when when your your guests are standing for the bride to come in. Yeah. Always have the officiant tell them to sit down and always remember to step out of the way when you say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, it's my unique honor and privilege time, to yeah. present to you for the very first time as husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs., you may kiss your bride. You get, get out, out of the way, way of all the photos. Yeah. Get the fuck that out of there. Sense. Any Anything from the repo man days or from car detailing, like anything that is an easy way to spruce up your car and, and make it look like it's brand new? So I would say some advice I would give you is if you're car shopping, there are some very easy giveaways to find. First of all, the Carfax thing that you see on windshields, it's all bullshit. Oh, yeah. You, like, don't, don't, Listen to them when they say, oh, it's got a clean Carfax. You have no idea. A very easy way of uh, there's you can go online and, and see what I'm talking about. But there are clues as far as what the paint looks like, uh, what's called the orange peel, which is the texture of the on two stage paint. You've got your base and then you've got your clear and the base is going to have this like texture to it. And if that texture is wildly different from the other paint, even if it oh. matches pretty close in color, that's a, that's a strong, almost like a hundred percent sign that there's been body work done to those panels. So, you know, it's at least been in a wreck. So mm. then you need to definitely have it inspected by an outside mechanic and say, Hey, pretty sure there's been damage on this, this quarter panel right here or this back bumper can you just take a look at the frame make sure you know spend the few bucks if you're in the market for something that's what i would say as far as uh uh driving crazy stuff that i've found on the car lot i mean i've found 
just not I found electronics, you know, we found iPods and iPads and cell phones and stuff like that. But that just the typical uh, stuff that people forget in their cars uh, when they go to trade them in. Found money in there before, like wads of cash hidden in like little compartments. Um, But nothing crazy good, you know, no no serious drugs that I could have flipped and made any money off of, you know. Right. I feel like that's good advice just in general is like I'm always way more confident that I'm going to remember where I hit something and that I hit something yeah exactly like, i'm like well gotta be safe so i'm gonna put this thing like in a, in a side panel we're, we're not house. we're yeah. actually not very different from the squirrels isn't that the whole thing they like yeah, yeah. they hide stuff everywhere and then and that's like, how I'm trees grow because they, yeah, they yeah. find like 20 percent. yeah yeah they can't remember that shit uh from the repoing days so again i have to reiterate I'm not this person anymore. Don't of course. don't cancel me. I yeah. didn't have the class. I used to work for the Democratic Party. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you know we fucking we grow exactly, we exactly. Me and Miles are on the same page. He worked for the Democratic Party, <laughs> and I used to legally steal people's cars. Okay, I, <laughs> wait. But first, s- break down. Break down though the repo, the the connection between like in your specific situation. You were telling me earlier about like the business of this car lot and where you come in as a as like a, a repo person. So the ec- economics of this specific car lot, this car lot had like a bad rep. still does. It's still around. Uh, they're still wildly <laughs> successful. And this was, again, like 17 years ago, I think, going on. I was around 20 years old that, uh, that I repoed. But essentially, when you would go, you know, you see those, these little rock lots and it has like, you know, $2,200 down, $3,500 down, drive off the day. Right. That's all the money they have in it. So the moment you make that down payment and you drive off, they have broken even. So any payments you make after that, it's just profit. It is just money. It's just gravy from yeah. then on. Then, of course, the financing, you know, the, the, it's, it's not just the payment, but they're making money off of the financing. And they, right. there was one of those uh, buy here, pay here situations. And so if you got your car repoed, if you stopped making payments, and you got your car repoed, you either showed up the next day or the next few days and called all the payments up, which again is just pure profit, or they just turned around and sold the car again. They still <laughs> held the title. So they right. they were selling the same car over and over, like on multiple occasions wow. where people would buy, would buy a ride, not not make the payments after a few months. And then they would, they would you know, we'd find it bring it back they would clean it up you know maybe pay like a small detail sure, sure. fee to someone and then stick it back on the lot wait how would you take the car like oh with the tow truck or did you you were like busting so windows and shit there was a t- towards the end of the time that i was doing it he did get a snatch truck one of those that oh, has yeah. the uh you know the little boom arm on the back of it goes under the front wheels right you lift it up make sure you know you crawl underneath it make sure it's in gear for the most part though we would get keys cut so we would pay, we would go, like, say you drive a Mazda. Yeah. We would take the VIN number, go to the Mazda dealership, give it to them, and they could cut a key based on that VIN number. Whoa. So then you're just riding around. You've got the file. You know what the references are. You know where to look for the car. Because if it's not parked at their address, if they're trying to hide it, yeah. a lot of times it would be at one of the three references that they would put down on the application to buy a car. So then we would, if we found it, we we just rode around the guy I worked for his name was he drove this this Fleetwood Cadillac you know like like villain ass looking car right you know? right <laughs> uh, and so we would we would scope it out 
And we did not want any confrontation because it's dangerous as hell. Sure, you know, you, yeah. you, those, those stealing course. somebody's car from their, yeah. from their mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, uh, that lizard lick towing shit. Like it, it's, right. it's not, it's not like that at all. Those reality shows that you see, right. we would scope it out and we would repo from like 10 o'clock at night to three o'clock in the morning. And then either I was driving the getaway car, I was driving the Cadillac or I would walk up you know, make sure there's no lights on in the house. Nobody's moving around. And then it's just a mad dash to opening the car up, hoping an alarm doesn't go off, hopping in, cranking it up and, and peeling out essentially. Yeah. And just, again, I have to reiterate, it is the funnest job I've ever had. I hate that <laughs> fact. I right. hate it. I hate it. Right, right. But yeah. there's something about it. Yeah. We like, I'm, yeah. you're 20 you're years old. Car theft. Yes. You're yeah. 20 years old and Boosting you're not cars. in trouble for stealing cars. You get to, you know, go out late at night and, and like you said, steal cars. It's unfortunately, it was a blast, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, but then, it was yeah, you kind of come around. You're like the economics of it, too. It's like it's wild how predatory it is to the point. Uh -huh. like, this is the best business. You bring them <laughs> in because you say you can put pay with you can bring virtually nothing down. Yep. I get the yep. financing deal. Then when they inevitably can't pay, I just rinse and repeat with the same vehicle, baby. Bingo. Like, bingo. This, wow. I'm like, that's when I'm like, that's I, I always like wondered about lots like that in the business dynamics of it. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense. And I can't think of something more American than that, too. Right. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of wondered, too. I've I've caught up with uh, the guy that I, I worked with at the time. It was a very weird dynamic because I saw him show uh, like empathy to a lot of the clients that he whose car he was looking for. And there was a few instances where they were older people mm -hmm. that got behind on their payments and he sure. refused to repo their cars, like genuinely refused to to take them. And he would we got on this this cycle where we would stop by a few people's homes. He would take their payment for them because this was again, this was before you could pay online or anything right. like that. And he would literally bring their payment back to the dealership to keep them out of trouble with, you know, with, with the, the lot. And so I actually found out years later, he got out of the business. I don't think he was built for it long-term. I think he probably right. had that kind of, uh, eventually, you know, eventual awakening as well. Yeah. Yeah. He moved out of town and I think he opened up like a comic book shop or something. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, much, you know, opposite ends of the, the business spectrum, I feel like. And I, I think because you were the repo man, you got to give us a, uh, the, the Zeit gang a tip, man. If you're behind on your payments, how the fuck can you hide your car from the repo? Stay away from those four references, I guess. Right? Yes, that, that's yeah. that's my number one. My number one thing is always uh, like wherever you hide it, always back it in because the first thing they're looking for is the, the license plate number. Um, but don't park it at your house and any of the references that you put down do not do not park it there mike had uh another thing which i don't know how you avoid this really he had uh if he knew a car was like going to be in a general area he mm. had people from like Domino's and pizza hut and delivery places like, if what? they spotted he would give them a finder's fee wow. <laughs> and we're talking like 50 bucks and this was like 2003 yeah, well, yeah. 2004 so it's it yeah. like a nice little chunk of change and so he had like he had like spies everywhere and shit it was, it was yeah. pretty wild but we got chased by one guy one time we we uh repoed his escalade and he jumped in another car and took off after us and it was a wild ass 
chase down Straight this two lane. Yeah, yeah, essentially, until called the off duty sheriff's department number and they set up like a roadblock into downtown oh. where we were headed. <laughs> and uh and so we flew through it and then this guy like the they pulled in after him and uh and and the next day he came down and called his payments up. And so it was it was uh, oh, it was wow. a, a wild wild couple of days for that guy. But yeah, yeah I mean, he, he might not have even known that you were repoing. He well, might have just thought your that's car exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Like he he genuinely just thought that his his car got stolen and we're trying to avoid confrontation as much as possible. You, you, you know, you don't want to open up a dialogue there with it when you don't right. know what, what, uh, what somebody's got, you know, behind their back when, when you're right. on their property. Yeah. And, uh, and then another time we had a guy, he had a truck in a ditch in his front yard. It was the truck we were looking for and knocked on the door and he told us to fuck off and so we were waiting we didn't have a tow truck at the time we were waiting on another guy so we're sitting in this food line parking lot this grocery store parking lot and all of a sudden we get surrounded by cops like seven or eight car sheriff's deputies they right. all draw their weapons you know they they weren't completely aiming them at us but uh we we get out with our hands up and starts explaining you know uh basically the guy whose car we were trying to repo he called the sheriff's department and said that we were threatening him with guns and baseball bats, which mm -hmm. we didn't carry any weapons on us. You know, sure, right. we, uh, it's just a recipe for disaster. It's going to escalate things into a bad area. So yeah, he explained it to them and they all put their weapons down and, and let us go. And, and you're like, uh, no, I'm stealing this on behalf of a car lot and for a financing <laughs> yes. company. Oh, 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 of course. <laughs> well then please. <laughs> on the, uh, on the we degrees of, of awfulness, I feel like we were not very high above the sheriff's department, but just slightly, just slightly low, enough that yeah. I felt better that I, I wasn't a full on cop in that situation. Right. Because like it is like you're in that group of people who can like legally steal someone's shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, For like. Yeah, not I'm the most, sorry, the man. Miles, you used to be a hoodlum. I know it. You've you said yeah, I used enough. To fuck around. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah, uh, Jack, you used to, to hang repent. out in the sewers of Kentucky or wherever. <laughs> Ohio. Yeah, yeah oh, Ohio. No. That's right. Yeah, the cops uh, talked to him went into the Hallmark turtles, store. Man. We know about yeah. that. Yeah, the Hallmark do it. store. Don't, the Hallmark arrest. store. Yes. Yeah. How could I have forgotten your almost got rescue? you? It's a blast. Doing bad shit is so much fun. That's why people. I mean. If it's not a crime of of like needing to feed yourself or something, it's just fun doing <laughs> fucked up shit. Unfortunately, yeah. it sucks. The, you <laughs> that's never the human hear, condition, right? Yeah, right. that that's never the explanation given, like in Law and Order, when they're like, "Why'd you do it, son?" And it's like, "Ah, my, I was fucked Fucking up from the They're never like, "Yo, it was fun as hell. fun as shit, man." It's yeah. an adrenaline rush. Yeah, and, you know, people. Some people skydive, and and uh, some people, you know do motocross yeah. or whatever shit and and some people repo cars i guess yeah <laughs> pays pays better than motocross mm -hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely sure. well christy yamaguchi man aka yeah. will such will. a pleasure thank you so much for coming through talking yeah, to man. us about uh about your career you're, you're one of our favorite listeners and guests to have on the show we really appreciate you man it's my pleasure it's my pleasure and this was a was this a collect call yeah, yeah. Or, hey, man, hey, why, like, don't, why are you saying that on charge? Why So if you could actually just not my fault. Okay. Mention, mention that. that. Yeah, we cut yeah, that out. Justin yeah, cut right. that part out. Yeah. Uh, say apologies. that again and say, well, actually, why don't you take that again, Will, and say, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> and um, I can't wait to foot the bill for this call. 
<laughs> guys it was an absolute pleasure thank you yeah. so much for having me yeah. yeah it's an honor to be uh i'm a two-time guest now i believe yeah two-timers club so two-timers club um and i cannot wait to pay the long distance bill oh on this you're phone such call. a so oh, not that we yeah. need to. We, it's not no, like no, no, a collect no. call or anything. No. But if you, yeah, insist, it's just good to know that you would. Of yeah, course, I, I, I insist because this, this was my pleasure. Yeah. first and foremost. So oh, thank you, thank you guys. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it. That's gonna wrap it up. Don't leave your car at the places you leave as references, which feels like kind of obvious. But I get how people would get lazy. And yeah, like be like, well, it ain't my house, and then forget that. Like I think about that shit all the time. Like how, like. Do I have people that like the government wouldn't know I'm friends with because I'm not friends with them on Facebook type yeah. shit? That's yeah, if you have any expertise on how to like drop off the grid or evade your debtors, just hit me up privately. We won't talk about it on the show, but yeah, yeah just got some things going on. Uh, no, that, that was super interesting. And, you know, crime, not only does crime pay, crime is fun is yeah. I think uh, I can't wait to play this episode for my seven year old when he when he hits age eight. And then show him New Jersey Drive. Enough. That's right. About <laughs> <laughs> boost the car. All right. But that's going to do it. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. How about you, Miles? Uh, at Miles of Gray, wherever there's at symbols. Yeah, Go yeah. there. You can find us on Twitter, Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have yeah. a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, footnotes. where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode. Won't really be happening as much in today's episode. but Yeah, but there is a song. There is a song, Miles, and yeah. what what is a song that you think people might enjoy? Okay, there's like a duo called Wilma Vritra, V R I T R A, and the first track on their album Grotto. I was listening to this album Grotto. The first track just blew me away. It's called Find an Hour, and they're like this like one guy's like one of the people in the group's a lyricist, the other's like a multi instrumentalist, and it's just got this like very cool like live hip-hop feel but kind of lo-fi spooky sounding like the recording's very like sounds very diy in this track and like great string arrangement too which Ooh. i was telling jack i was like this feels like when miri ben ari the hip-hop violinist was like blowing it up in the odds but like in a classier way you know more like isaac hayes type of shit yeah. so anyway this is find an hour by wilma vritra i'm getting losing my breath check it out yeah and I totally got Miles's reference and didn't need it explained to me at all. I, I know. Look, it reminds me of like when Marcel was like, what kind of fucking Tumblr ass explanation? I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I only speak in Tumblr. This is my all brand. right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yep. That's going to do it for us this morning. Back this afternoon to tell you what is trending. Yeah. And we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. 
I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.